announcement. Really, it's an explanation. I'm acting a little funny today. Um, Wednesday, I call my insurance company because I'm turning 65 next month, and if you don't have a company-provided insurance plan, when you turn 65 on the first day of your birth month, you have to go on Medicare. I asked them what steps I needed to take. They told me what steps I needed to take. They then processed that information. Twice I asked the question, I want to be sure our family policy will not terminate until October 1. And on October 1, uh, the policy for Lisa will continue and I'll come off the policy. Twice they reassured me. Friday, I get an email from the company saying your insurance has been terminated effective September the 15th. I immediately called them. That proceeded in a two-hour and 43-minute conversation with the insurance company, uh, going from person to person, from department to department. Essentially, they said, we cannot reinstate you for 30 days. Uh, I said, well, in... 15 days, or actually uh, 13 days, I won't need it myself, but uh, my wife will need it. They said, maybe, just maybe, someone up in the higher chain of the company might override that 30-day rule and reinstate it immediately. I won't find out on that until tomorrow. So despite the fact that I knew who I talked to, despite the fact that I did exactly what the company told me to do, despite the fact that I could give them the name of the person that I talked to and the time I talked to them, none of that counted. The company said, sorry, it's our fault, but hey, we can't change the rules. So right now, I do not have health insurance. So I am being super careful. I'm walking on eggshells. I'm making sure I don't fall anything and making sure I avoid accidents. So if you see me kind of, you know, like this, it's because of that situation. Uh, I've already started looking for new insurance for Lisa, so hopefully all of this will be taken care of. Let's get to what's really important. We want to say welcome to the class. We are so glad you're part of the class, both those who are in here in the auditorium and also those who are watching online. We say welcome to you. Uh, I do want to remind you, coming up in October, I'm excited. Uh, Genesis, this is going to be a, uh, I think this is going to be a faith building study. Genesis, New Beginnings, begins in October. We're up to lesson number 156. 156. Uh, we're going to need four men to help me. Scott, I'm going to say you will be my reader for Matthew. So all the passages from Matthew, I'll turn to you. Uh, Ed, I'm going to turn to you to be my Mark reader. So all the passages from Mark, Ed, I'll ask you to read. Drew, I'm going to ask you to be my reader from Luke. So please be my reader from Luke. And John, hey, you got John, okay? So when it comes time, just stand up and read those passages. Where are we in the story? Let me remind you. We started here, most likely in the palace. Here, the great's palace, that's where Pilate probably was. Uh, Jesus is to be crucified. He's to be taken up to the area that we call Golgotha. And right there, he is in the area of Golgotha. We are, we are with the... Um, 
Okay, I just got a, uh, a text message, and uh, let me go ahead and do this right now. Uh, Christy, uh, I just got a text message from Pam, uh, Derek and Christy. Christy is uh, going to the hospital right now. Uh, they're either going to go to a walk-in clinic or to an ER. Uh, they are very concerned about Christy's uh, situation right now. I don't have any more details, but let's go ahead and have a prayer, and then we'll resume our class. Let's pray. Dear Father, we always come to you because you are the source of our strength. You are the source of our help. Lord, we are nothing without you. And dear God, I pray right now you be with Christy and Derek and, and Tom and Shelton and the, uh, Tom and Pam Shelton and the whole family. Uh, Lord, I pray that whatever, her, whatever Chrissy's health needs are right now, that uh, improvements will be made, that the doctors and nurses that will be attending to her will be able to help her. I pray for good news. I pray for health. I pray for improvements. Lord, help us to lean on you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, resuming here. We're up in Jerusalem. We're on the cross. Let's continue. We're at Golgotha. That horizontal cross beam has been attached to the vertical part of the cross. That vertical part of the cross was always left in this area to serve as a daily reminder. A daily reminder. Hey, you Jews, you Jews, if you cross us, this is what you get. The crucifixion begins around 9 a.m., as Jesus is hanging just a few inches above the ground. Now, usually when you see the, the painters paint this scene, they got Jesus on a real tall cross and people are kind of like looking at this. That's not the way it usually takes place. Usually when the, uh, when the uh, victim is nailed to that crossbeam, You've got two soldiers on each end of the crossbeam, and they lift it up as high as they can above their head, and that's about where that uh, vertical beam and that little notch is, and they set that crossbeam over that notch, and it kind of snaps in place like a, a Lincoln log set. So the cross is not very, not very tall. Probably the feet of Jesus are only a few inches above the ground. We have passerbys. We've got the Sanhedrin. And, and they're going to make their presence known. They're going to mock him. They're going to mock him as much as they can. And the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, are going to kind of chime in also. As well as the passerbys. You know, people going into the city. For the feast, they're going to gawk and they're, you know, kind of like when you have a wreck on the highway, you kind of slow down and kind of look at it a little bit. The women, ladies, I have so much respect for your gender. <clears throat> the women are the ones at the cross. Other than John, you got the women at the cross. They are the brave ones. And they're crying. And of course, you've got John. And you can imagine, there's Jesus with those nails through his hands and, and through his feet. He speaks the first of seven sayings. Why seven? 
Well, seven is that perfect number. So you got seven sayings from the cross. You got in the book of John, you got seven great I am statements. In the book of John, you got seven witnesses that declare that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, you've got seven miracles or seven signs. So seven is that big number. Let's look at Luke chapter 23. Let's read that very first saying that he says. Drew? Okay, forgive them for they. Who's them? Who's they? Well, you might say, well, immediately he's talking about the soldiers. You know, they're the ones that just nailed his hands and nailed his feet and, and, and hosted him up in the air on that cross. Or you might say, well, them and they, that's the Jewish Sanhedrin. You know, they're the ones that, that you know, kind of uh, push this along. Or you might say, well, it's Pilate. Turn to Acts for just a moment. Book of Acts, chapter 3. Chapter 3. In just a moment, we're going to have a Greek word study here, okay? Acts 3, 17. Acts 3, 17. Peter says, yet now, brethren, he's speaking to the crowd, I know that you did it. What? Crucified Jesus. You did it in ignorance. Question. Did every one of those people that Peter is referring to, were they there when Jesus was crucified? The likelihood is not great that every single one of them was there. You just do the math and it doesn't make sense that every single one of them was there at Golgotha. Turn to Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you, he's talking to the crowd. How many is in the crowd? Well, at least 3,000, probably more, but at least 3,000. You have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. How could Peter in Acts 2, and then once again, Peter and John in Acts 3, how could they point to the crowd that's listening to them and say, you have crucified him? Go back to Luke. The word that Jesus spoke here, the word that Luke records in Greek, it's a pronoun. There are two pronouns there. But it's a pronoun that means a large number. Not a little number like four soldiers. Not a little number just like one person, Pilate. Not a little number, say, 71, the Sanhedrin. By the way, not all the Sanhedrin voted for his crucifixion. I can say that because Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were part of that Sanhedrin. A large number. Who is Jesus referring to? 
all of us. What sent him to the cross? O-U-R-S-I-N-S. Our sins. Our sins sent him to the cross. So it wasn't just the soldiers that needed to be forgiven. It's not just the Pilate and the Sanhedrin and, and, and the Jewish people. All of us are in need of forgiveness. All of us are in need of forgiveness. Jesus, through His blood on that cross, offers us that forgiveness. So who is the they and them that need to be forgiven? I'll raise my hand. How about you? Let's continue. The Jewish leaders protest the sign. <laughs> this is so funny. Uh, John chapter 19, then we'll read, I want to read all of these. John 19 and, and, and Matthew and then Luke. First, John. John 19. Uh, 19 through 22. John 19, 19 through 22. I'm sorry, I should have said that. What I have written, I have written. This is Pilate kind of twisting it a little bit back. You know, Pilate hated the Jewish people. He didn't like this assignment. He didn't like where he was living. He hated Jerusalem. He, almost, he stayed exclusively at Caesarea, only came to Jerusalem during the feast days, and only then to corral these mangy, meaningless, dirty, Jewish people. Why do I say that? Because in a writing that is attributed to Pilate, that's basically what he called him. And I actually cleaned it up a little bit for you, okay? He did not like the Jewish people at all. Matthew chapter 27, verse 37. Notice the little difference there in what the sign says in Matthew as it said there in John. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Luke. Let's read one more. Luke chapter 23, uh, verse 38. We're going to skip Mark, but let's go ahead and read Luke. I am amazed at the skeptics. I'm amazed at how dumb they are. Really, they're dumb. Because uh, I have in my library one book, it's not a big book, it's a small book, that deals with this discrepancy. Well, notice, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all differ on what the sign says. And they say, well, that because, that's because, you know, the Bible is not inspired, it's got, it's got imperfections, it's wrong, wrong, wrong. To that I say in Greek, baloney, because they don't even know. Go back to the reading in John. 
Did you notice that the sign was written in three languages? Three languages? It says Hebrew. Actually, the word there in John, this is a um, Aramaic version of Hebrew. Okay, now remember, okay, the Galilean Jews, they spoke a version of Aramaic that was kind of mashed in with Hebrew. It was kind of a mashed in kind of language. More Aramaic than Hebrew, but it's kind of all put together. That's the Galilean Jews. Even the Judean Jews spoke it. The only place where you would find the classical Hebrew, and this is not classical Hebrew here in John, would be with the Jewish leadership in the worship. That's where you would only find the classical Hebrew language. It's written in what? Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. If you look at this phrase, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The differences, the differences is all because of the language. The language difference. You know, Matthew is going to, uh, he's writing to uh, uh, what? He's writing to more uh, uh, Jewish Christians. So he's going to use the Hebrew slash Aramaic version of the sign. Well, Mark is going to use the Latin version because he's writing to who? He's writing to Roman Gentile Christians. You see, Luke, Luke is going to use the Greek. So the difference is, is easily explained. Now, his clothing is divided up between the four soldiers. we got four soldiers and a centurion, we think. Four soldiers and a centurion. John 19, verse 23 and 24. John 19, 23 and 24. Let's go back to Psalm, Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22 is a phenomenal messianic psalm. Psalm chapter 22, verse 18. They divided my garments amongst themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. Did the soldiers know they were fulfilling Scripture? Did those soldiers say, hey, we better do this because we've got to fulfill that writing back in Psalm? This is God's foreknowledge here. Now notice, go back to John, John 19. Look at that word tunic. Look at that word tunic. This is the inner garment. They had an inner garment usually and an outer garment. This is the inner garment. There was one other person in Jerusalem that had this particular type of tunic. Only one other person in the city of Jerusalem that had this particular type of tunic. How do I know that? 
Go to the Septuagint. Now, what is the Septuagint? Let me remind you. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Now, Jesus himself validated it because he often quoted from the Septuagint. Why would he do that? Well, because that was the, that was the version that most people would be aware of. Only in the synagogue and in the temple would you have the reading from the Hebrew Scriptures. People in their homes, if they knew the Scriptures, if they even had maybe a fraction, maybe a part of a, maybe often they would have like a part of the Psalms, they would have the Septuagint part because that was more easily bought and it was more easily afforded. If you go to the Septuagint, translation of the Old Testament, and you look at this word here in John that we have translated tunic, it refers to the tunic worn by the high priest. Jesus only had one piece of clothing that we know of that was worth anything. The rest of his clothing was, you know, you know, five and dime store. It was cheap. It was uh, handmade. Uh, 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 it was not expensive. But he had this expensive tunic. Why would Jesus have this expensive tunic? Because he's the true high priest. You see, he's the true high priest. Now, where did he get it? Answer, we don't know. We know that uh, the women supported his ministry financially. We know that at least one woman was uh, fairly well off that supported him financially. Uh, we know that uh, mother of, uh, of John Mark uh, was financially off because she had a house that was big enough to hold everybody. She had a, a big house. So maybe one of them helped him get this. Maybe one of them purchased this very expensive cloth and made a tunic for him. But isn't it interesting that the true high priest was dressing like a true high priest? Do you get it? You know, I wonder if, 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 uh, if Caiaphas the high priest had only known that the guy standing in front of him had the same garment that he had on, that would just made him even more mad. Jesus is the true high priest. He's the true high priest. You see, Jesus is the one in control. You know, the soldiers, they imagine they are in control, but they're really not. Jesus is in control. The insults continue. Matthew chapter 27, 39 through 44. Thank you. 
They're all jumping on board. They're all insulting him. Mark chapter 15, 30 through 32. Luke chapter 23, 35 through 37. Notice these insults. You have heard those insults before. You've heard this mockery before. Go to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, we have the temptations presented by the devil. Twice, what does he say? If you are the Son of God, prove it. If you are the Son of God, prove it. That's what they're saying right here. Remember what it said about the temptations? The devil left him for a more opportune time. This is his time. Friday belongs to the devil. Now Jesus is in control, but Friday belongs to the devil. Now Sunday he's going to get whooped just one side or the other. You know, he's going to get stomped on Sunday. But Friday, it's the devil's time. This is the same mockery that the devil made to Jesus. If you're the Son of God, change these stones into bread. If you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, come down from that cross. Psalm chapter 22, verse 7. All those who see me ridicule me. As I said, Psalm chapter 22 is one of those great messianic songs. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. What's it say? They were wagging their heads. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Let Him deliver Him since He delights in Him. Prophecy fulfilled. Why do we believe in Jesus? Well, a lot of reasons. <laughs> do you have the next few hours to, for me to tell you why we believe in Jesus? Let me just give you one reason. Fulfillment of prophecy. Fulfillment of prophecy. One criminal. He's got a criminal on each hand. One criminal changes his mind. Luke 23, 39 through 43. Thank you. 
There's a song that was written, and you probably don't, are not aware of the song. In fact, I may bring it. Uh, I may bring the words maybe with me Wednesday night. The song goes, I am a thief. I am a criminal walking up this lonely road. In fact, I'm going to bring it. I'll bring it Wednesday and share with you the lyrics to that song. This thief changes his mind. He has seen what is happening, and because of that, he changes his mind and says, remember me. Have you ever had someone say to you, I want to be saved just like the thief on the cross? I want to be saved just like the thief on the cross. You can do that. All you got to do is jump into your closest time portal machine, go back to A.D. 30, April the 6th, before Jesus dies on the cross. That's all you got to do. In other words, you can't do it, okay? It's impossible. We're under the old law still. Jesus is the only person that ever kept the old law perfectly. The new law doesn't come in until after the cross. So you can't be saved like the thief on the cross, I'm sorry, unless you can invent a time machine and go back uh, uh, about 2,000 years, you can't do it. Jesus is in so much pain, but He's still, He's still Jesus. And He wants to provide for His mother. John chapter 19, 25, 26, and 27. It was common for husbands to be 5, 10, sometimes even 15 years older than their wives. Men were usually 25 to 30 or so when they got married. Ladies, uh, well, you were barely a teenager to maybe 16 or 17 when you got married, so your husband would have been probably much older than you. Joseph, we think, is dead at this point. Okay, we think Joseph is probably dead at this point. If he had been alive, he probably would have been in his 60s or so. So he's probably dead. So why doesn't Jesus, we know he had brothers. So why didn't Jesus assign one of his brothers to be over his mother, to take care of his mother. Because remember, ladies, you depend on the man. You, know, you, you want sons, because when your husband dies, then, then your son takes care of you. You want sons. So why did Jesus, being the oldest son, why does he turn to John? Because John is probably the closest living believer. John and James are probably the two closest living believers. When we look at the people at the cross, and we're going to do that in a few moments, either today or Wednesday, 
we see, we see probably three relatives. We see his mother, and we see also the mother of James and John, who is a relative, and we see John. John is probably, I'm going to say probably here, he's probably Jesus' cousin, as we would call it. He is the child, he's one of the children of Mary's sister, making, making John and Jesus cousins. And he wants his mother to be taken care of by someone who is a believer. Where's the others? Where's, the, where's his, uh, his biological brothers? Well, actually, biological half-brothers? They're not there. They don't become believers until after the cross. James, being an example, one of those brothers who becomes a believer after the cross. Now let's talk about the saving, seven sayings from the cross. As I said, seven is that perfect number. And Jesus will have seven sayings from the cross. Now one of the sayings is in two parts, part one and part two. Woman, behold your son. And then to John, behold your mother, but it's still one there. We have seven sayings from the cross. The first one, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Second, and let me say this, we think this is the order. Can I say for sure that this is definitely the order? No. I'm taking my best guess. This is my best guess for the order of which he says them. Assuredly, uh, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. Then the Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Next, I thirst. Then just one word. In English, it's three words. The word is telestai. You would love this word. It's an accounting word, accounting word. To tell us that, you know, when you go pay your bill, when you go pay your bill, they would, you know, like we would today, stamp it paid in full. To tell us that is that word. It's paid in full. It's finished. It's finished. And then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I have a way to remember all seven of these. And we're going to read them now, okay? We're going to read them, so guys, get ready. I have a way to remember all seven. Uh-oh, we're out of time, okay? Um, let me show you the way that we'll talk more about this on Wednesday. This is the way. I have one word to help me to remember each one of these. Write down these words. We're going to start right here Wednesday night, okay? And we're going to read these passages, but this is, a, this is a way to remember these seven sayings. Forgiveness, salvation, relationship, abandonment, distress, triumph, reunion. We'll talk more about that on uh, Wednesday. Let me check and see if we have any uh, questions. We don't have any questions and I don't have any more information from, uh, from Pam Shelton, so we don't know uh, uh, what has happened. Okay, um, let me say this. We will start right here with these seven saints. And we'll read these seven saints. 
and uh, this is my way, this is my little, ch you know, remember, and you know, we have cheat sheet, you would have a little thing to help you remember what's going to be on the test. You would write down maybe key words and key phrases. This is my way of remembering the seven sayings. Also on Wednesday, we will talk about who's at the cross. Who's at the cross? We will identify who they are and why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have different women's names listed. We'll talk about that. Uh, also, we'll talk about the darkness, what the darkness means. We'll talk about the things that happen with the cross and his death. We'll talk about that, how that darkness came about. And then we'll look at the possible timeline for the cross. I'm going to give you a timeline. And I, want, uh, I would suggest you might write this down. Because this is going to be a timeline that we're going to look at so you'll know how all these things happen in order. This is my best guess of a timeline. So we'll go through that on Wednesday. Then we'll be ready for Story 157. Uh, uh, Story 157 is back on your podiums back there, so you can grab that and, uh, and have that ready. Um, as I said, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, take this through the ascension, and we're going to take it through Acts 2. We're going to establish the church, and then this study, Greatest Stories and Events of the Bible, will end. I will do Acts probably as a sermon series later on. We're going to go straight into Genesis. I will probably be giving you the Genesis notebook, I'm guessing probably next Sunday. So you can start looking over that. The Genesis study is going to be, I am so excited. I have never written anything like this. Everything else is... Nothing, you know, nothing. This is good. This is good stuff, okay? Um, I'm understanding Genesis so much better. And I think you will too. So uh, you can please join me for that Genesis study. I think that will be, uh, it's going to be wonderful. Uh, once again, I love you. I can't hug you today. <laughs> Got to stay safe because of my situation with insurance company. But I do love you. You are dismissed. We got about two minutes, so don't disturb the other teachers. But I'm going to let you out about two minutes early because I don't have any questions.